Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. was putting my daughter down i went to leave the room yeah. and i thought she's she's all good she's asleep and then she went yeah. daddy where are you going and i was like oh no <laughs> just as you get get to the door <laughs> no you're back where you started again aren't you yeah. and i was like oh no like this was at like <laughs> half seven i thought right okay this is gonna take a miracle <laughs> so hopefully she stays asleep but if not well it's my wife's problem now <laughs> well well yeah you're otherwise occupied aren't you for the next hour or so, so. exactly you yeah. are my child right now I was going, well, if you want to look at it that way, fair enough, you know. Um, it's it's your, it's your. am I your get-out-of-jail-free card, is that it? Yeah, I, I blame you for a lot, actually, Brian. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Um, yeah, you, see, I wouldn't know, yeah. It's a bit, a bit <laughs> like blaming the dog, isn't it, when something if, goes wrong? If, if my wife ever meets you, she's just going to go... <laughs> Mm, no, oh, it's him. not not it's, you. <laughs> yeah, not you. Yeah. Well, look, I have my uses, don't I? Let's be let's be fair about this. You know, That's I'm nice. always always happy to perform a service for a friend. You know that. You know? <laughs> um, but how have you been though, generally? <clears throat> yeah, no, good, good, very good. Actually, yeah, I had COVID last week, so got over that. Um, it's it's my second go at it. So I, I was going to say you've had it once already. You're being a bit yeah. greedy, you are, aren't you? If anything, the sequel was just meh. You know, it didn't really do what the first one did. The first one no. had all the novelty and you know, it was interesting. The second time, it was like, oh god, go away, would you? Well, we've got time for this. No, well, let's hope this, that's the last one. Let's hope there's not going to be any, any further repeats. We don't want you to turn into our Marvel franchise, do we? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, but, you know, hump of the week, you know, it's Wednesday. You know, we're over that, um, the knobbly part of the week, I, I, like to, I like to think. So, weren't the Oscars predictable, weren't they? They were utterly, utterly predictable. Yeah, it was weird this year. I mean, I, I, I very rarely get much into it and i didn't really this year either but i this year was one of the few years where i've actually seen some of the films beforehand because often what happens with the oscars i watched them afterwards like the films that are coming out yeah i was kind of like oh okay they went with that one right okay um but i was surprised that it did fall down so heavily with um 
everything everywhere all at once. I'd be surprised actually about what you think about that. Yeah, I I wasn't surprised really because the way it was shaping up, I think they'd already made up their minds that this is our chance. I mean, I I hate to sound cynical, you know, I prefer to, to say realistic, but it was shaping up that way. You know, they had... Uh, numerous boxes to tick. You know, the pressure that the Academy have been under in recent years with different things going on and pressure to comply and be politically correct and be very wokest. It's difficult not to be cynical in this environment. You know, by all means, um, uh, recognise films for their quality. Now, I'm not saying that everything everywhere all at once is not a bad film. It's okay, but it doesn't deserve that level of praise. You know, I mean, it's it's all a matter of opinion, isn't it, when all said and done. But, I mean, a film like Till, for example, that I was raving about on the last podcast, mm. that's the type of film that if you wanted to reward diversity and inclusion, you could do it with that. You know, female director, black cast, about the civil rights movement. I mean, that's six of a few boxes. But it, in my opinion, it deserves the praise that it never got. You know, this is what I feel is so ironic, really. You know, um, but Brendan Brendan um, Brendan Fraser got the Oscar for best best actor though, which is quite right, I think. Yeah, you you sang his praises in yeah. the last episode, so yeah, yeah I think um, I, I, the thing is, as we both chatted about last uh, last <clears throat> time, the film itself, everything everywhere all at once, <clears throat> certainly it didn't. On, I've only seen it once. I still only have seen it once, and it didn't rattle me in any kind of way that I thought oh my god of course of course this is an Oscar mm. winner it kind of was like okay this is a fairly interesting film but yeah, that's about it like whereas when I watched um uh, to pick a non-white Hollywood film that did win something like Parasite when I watched Parasite yeah. I remember being particularly <clears throat> you know moved by that film that it was wow that was something really special yeah. that was so interesting um so yeah I was yeah. interested to see what something happens. about it though Parasite isn't it it's something that kind of grabs you straight away and that's what a good film should do is make you curious and make you think right I can't take my eyes off of this but you know I, we have to accept that the academy will operate in, in a certain way and doesn't do what I feel is always logical but as I say it's, you're just dealing with opinions I mean, I mean we've all got a, v- a view of the way things should be and what a great film is but I think in some ways the Oscars are dumbing down. I mean, you look at any award ceremony, you might talk about the uh, Golden Globe Awards, the the BAFTAs, the uh, Screen Actors Guild, right? And they're, they're all kind of up there. But the real the real yardstick, the benchmark, the gold standard is the Oscars. You know, if you win an Oscar, you've got a license to work in Hollywood, haven't you? It's as simple as that. <clears throat> so that's a rare honour to bestow on anyone, I think, really. But... You know, it just doesn't seem to scan very well with me. You know, it, it just seems to be playing to the gallery a bit too much, you know, trying to play too safe. And it becomes too obvious as well. Yeah. There you go. I mean, um, <clears throat> we will be talking about an Oscar winner in this episode. Um, and we will, yeah. That's yeah, right. Our, our streaming pick for this. Richly deserved as well. Yeah, very good. But we'll get to that. Um, But before we get to the streaming, it's cinema releases. Go for it, Brian. Well, what should we go with first? Or are you going to let me choose? Oh, I always let you choose this now. Do you know why? It's because... 
as I said earlier, I am completely unprepared really for this episode. So I'm going to use this time when you're actually going to be talking about these films to <laughs> get all my sheets up oh, well, and to get, to get myself together. So yeah, you're giving yeah. the game away there. You could have yeah. stayed quiet, couldn't you? Could have it's just not the quiet. slick operation uh, that people think it is. It know, is largely me with a mic and a yeah. spreadsheet. I mean, we could we could appear like a swan, couldn't we? You know, calm on the surface, but paddling away furiously below the surface. But you're prepared to let it all show, aren't you? That's okay. I can I get am, with that. I know? also have control of post-production edit, so I can make myself look really organised okay. there. It's fine. I, yeah. I, you, know, you know, anyone could be a victim of your, your careful editing, couldn't they? Really? Let's be fair. <laughs> all right, then. So let, let's, let's start then, right? So we've got five films on general release. First one that I'd like to discusses Women Talking. This stars Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, and Frances McDormand. It's directed by Sarah Polly. The story is, is basically women living in a religious colony untouched by the 21st century, where the men brutalise and rape their women at will. Until they decide to do something about it, they take a vote. Three choices. One, they leave. Two, they do nothing. Three, they stay and fight. Now, I don't think it's given too much of the uh, plot away to say that they they dismiss, do nothing. It's either going to be leave or stay and fight. They split down the middle. And the film is basically a record of their discussions over the course of an evening or an entire night, really, where they decide what they what they do. And Ben, ben Wishaw is the only man in the cast. He's the He plays the, the teacher, the honest broker, the neutral, who records their discussions. Now, I think the trailers on this film don't do it any justice. If you look at the trailers for this film, it looks very dry, it looks very slow, not very pacey at all. But it's not, It's not though. You know, it's a kind of film you almost listen to it rather than watch it because the characters are fairly static. They don't move around very much. All the action takes place within a barn, within this community. And the um, the fact that it don't, they don't move around much doesn't seem to affect it because the plot still rolls along at a, a reasonably good pace. I, I think it's a very good film. It's very intelligent. Um, not an easy one to get to grips with and quite disturbing in places. But it's it's a film that has its reward if you stick with it. But it's it's the antithesis of so many films that we see in the cinema because... You know, it, it's it's a thinking film. It's a talking film. It's not about action, but a, a very, very good film and worth worth having a look at. Well, what a cast. I mean, I must say, I, yeah. I'm a big, big fan of Jesse Buckley um, mm. and, and all of them, really. But um, I think when you do get these films that come to the big screen that aren't playing up to, you know, keeping our attention you know really giving us lots and lots of visuals sometimes mm. that's a really nice option um, i remember seeing change. yeah i remember seeing the king's speech uh right. in and that's quite a heavy kind of dialogue yeah. film and lots of mm. intimate scenes and seeing it in an immersive experience was actually really powerful because i feel when you do have something that's say more visual that can still kind of work at home you can kind of still do that but if you have something that is trying to just captivate you largely with dialogue and, and a mm. script that yeah you a cinema is a very good place to put that because you're almost mm. like a fly on the wall you feel more like a fly on the wall i think yeah. like in that sort of arena yeah i agree i, I think you're, you're kind of in an enclosed environment you're in darkness 
you know, it's like all the um, the pre-show trailers that you see where they urge you to switch your mobile off. Yeah. Watch this screen. Don't watch any other screen. <laughs> and it, it's all very true. You know, they want they want you to to appreciate the cinematic experience. And to see a film like that on a big screen is unusual. People might look at a film like Women Talking and think, I'll wait for that on streaming. But I would urge you, if it's the type of film that you feel you could warm to, is to go on and see it in the cinema. Because all films are better on a big screen. But it has a certain amount of naughty value because it is a thoughtful film. It's a thinking film. And it is about domestic abuse. So it's dealing with um, a very current topical subject, and it always will be. And it's um, an issue that we're trying to get to grips with as a society. So. it's got that going for it as well. You know, women will watch it and relate to it, and so will men as well. Um, but it's it's well worth a look, and it will surprise you. I think it will surprise you if you, you sit down and watch it. But, I mean, it, it requires something different from you as a, a viewer. Okay, well, there we go. Women talking. Um, an Oscar winner um, for Best Adapted Screenplay. So... Yeah. Worth anyone's time. What's next, Brian? What's next? Right. Let's go with what's love got to do with it. Now, this is nothing to do with the uh, Tina Turner film or the Tina Turner song. This is a, a film with, well, starring Lily James, uh, Shazad Latif and Emma Thompson, directed by Shakur Kapoor, and a screenplay by Jemima Khan, no less. Um, now, Story, pretty much a straightforward rom-com with a slight twist. Lily James plays Zoe, a filmmaker who's grown up living next door to her best friend, Kaz, played by Shazad Latif. Uh, Coming from a traditional Pakistani family, Kaz has succumbed to an arranged marriage or assisted marriage, as they call it now. Zoe decides to film Kaz's wedding in Pakistan. The party flies off and the fun and games begin. Now, I think this is a a lovely rom-com. It's almost a date night movie, I think. Um, lots of nice visuals. A very good script by, by Jemima Khan. You know, she's not the, the person you would expect to come up with a, a script for a romantic comedy, but she's drawn on her own experiences, being married to Imran Khan, the Pakistani cricketer. And it makes some interesting points about I mean, we've seen films about uh, Eastern and Western cultures clashing, but this is trying to set the concept of an arranged marriage alongside the Western conventions of spontaneous relationships developing. And that juxtaposition between the two is quite interesting. But nevertheless, it's still a good film. If you like rom-coms, I I stress that. If you're a fan of rom-coms, you will enjoy it. It's quite predictable, to be fair. But that's the way we like our rom-coms. We like them to be predictable. We like happy endings. And I'm pleased to report there is a happy ending here. But you get 10 minutes into the film, you'll know what, what the ending's going to be. <laughs> but, you know, I personally don't mind that because you, you get something specific from a rom-com. You get a few laughs. You get some good storytelling. You get to warm to people that are very likable, usually, even the ones that are not quite so pleasantly drawn, you end up liking them as well. That's the, that, It's a feel-good movie, isn't it? It's a, it's a heart warmer. It's all those cliches that we as film critics use. You can attach all of these to um, what's love got to do with it. But a, a, a very good film and well worth seeing. 
Okay, that sounds great. I mean, I do love um, Lily James. Uh, she's been in a lot of great movies for me. Like, and when it comes to rom coms, mm. I mean, this is saying it coming from the you know, producers of Bridget Jones's Diary, Love Actually, yep. those sort of places. Mm-hmm. That's right up my street. That really is. <laughs> it, oh, you know, mine too. Mine too. Yeah. And I think there's you know, a big place in, especially British cinema, I think, for these types of films where you know they are a bit. Um, uh, kind of easygoing and you know, they, they, they're playing around with a lot of these sort of tropes and I, I think this is the sort of film again goes back to the idea of like the sort of film you're going to watch in a cinema you're going on a date you've got the opportunity to watch something like this or you've got you know something like women talking there's that's variety there's different types of movies yeah, of yeah I think yeah. that's a that's a great yeah. um great selection that we've got going on this month uh, yeah, in yeah. cinemas that's right. You have got a contrast there, and they're both excellent films in different ways. And I think it's, it's, it's as I say, it's asking for for a different reaction from us as viewers. I think with uh, what's love got to do with it? You look at you, what you're looking for. You're looking for um, nice characters, uh, an engaging storyline, and some laughs, some a, a witty sort of banter and dialogue. And there's lots of that going on here. And I must say, if this is anything to go by, I'm really impressed with Jemima Khan as a as a scriptwriter. This is just the screenplay that she's done. But it's, you know, she's drawing on her own experiences. But, I mean, it's not easy to write a script like that that's, you know, that's got all those elements, all those ingredients fed into it and makes you care about the characters and gives you a few laughs to, to have sort of clever lines that, you, that stick in your head. You know, it does all of that. and it does the job for me. And I think it's that out of those first two films, it's probably the film that will run for longer on general release. You know, I always look at the the listings, the local cinema listings. And for a, for a film like Women Talking, you might only get three or four listings in one day. Right, for a film like What's Love Got To Do With It, you might get six or seven. But if you compare it to something like Shazam or Ant-Man, there'll be 15 or 16 slots that you could choose from. And it does give you an idea of what the public responds to. I would hope that a film like Women Talking or What's Love Got to Do With It will get more than just three or four slots a day because that's a sign that people have got an open mind and they'll see different types of film. You know, one of the things that I, I hope we can do with Film Club is to open people's minds a bit more and that there are other types of films out there that... That are worth seeing absolutely and <clears throat> brian brings me on to a good point so uh, if this is your first episode of film club then um nice to have you here where have you been answers on a postcard please uh <laughs> what we what we want to know is your opinions of these films so um we actually have had someone send in a, a review of all quiet on the western front which we're going to review in a bit um but yeah any of the films that we talk about uh women talking what's love got to do with it a lot more coming up on the on the show we'd want your reviews too now whether that's you want to send us an audio uh actual you know, recording of you uh which there is now a button brian on the oh, website wow. i've created a button oh wow for, you created a button nice yeah, one yeah. stuck it right on the home page can't miss it we've really arrived there haven't we, we have. our own buttons i mean our own that took me a good hour or two to sort that out with yeah. a cup of tea i was it really yeah. is, is it that technical 
No, I'm just really slow, and I had the office on in the background. I was just not uh, not exactly rushing. Right. Um, but oh, yeah, so if you right, if you right. want to send in your reviews, or if you want to tweet them, you can tweet them to at UK Film Review, or however you want to send them to us. Yeah. Maybe you don't want your voice read out, um, so I'm happy to read them for you. Or you know, feel free to send in any other method, um, other than like you know those kind of barbaric methods of like carrier pigeons i always worried about the pigeons were they all right with that was that okay i don't know i didn't have a lot of saying in it i couldn't answer back could they really <laughs> little extra message type you know taped to the bottom help me <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> if, I, if only they could read and write it could have been oh, so no. different couldn't it it was their own that's, fault really that's what the what evolution does isn't it <laughs> and uh that brings us very nicely onto what's next brian yeah, what's, what's next the... chris what's next is creed 3 Oh. Yeah, Creed Three. I couldn't resist it. I thought, yeah, I got. I, I'm normally quite adverse to to films with Roman numerals in the title, but <laughs> it, it is Creed. You know, it's it's an offshoot of Rocky. So I thought, got to do this. Starring Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, also directed by Michael B. Jordan as well. Is it his it's, first? Is that his first film? It's his first. I think it's his first film as director. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think it is actually. It may well be his debut. I think he's been dabbling, isn't he? He's he's one of these sort of actors that dabbles with, as a writer and a director. I think it's his first directorial. Born into IMDb, it is. So that is gospel. Excellent. We can confirm that then. So this is um, the latest instalment of the Adonis Creed franchise. Uh, so the story is pretty much Creed is uh, retired. And living a comfortable life as a media celebrity, has his own gym, is advertising, living a nice, comfortable life with a nice family. But then a figure from his childhood re-enters his life. Damien Anderson, played by Jonathan Majors, uh, shares a secret with Creed, which becomes clear as the film wears on. But in double quick time, Damien Anderson becomes world heavyweight champion and starts to bait Creed, starts to diss him. And you think, well, we know what's coming, don't we, really? We know what's going to come next. So Creed comes out of retirement and fights Damien Anderson. So he's fighting not only Anderson, but he's fighting his personal demons as well. It's that kind of film, really. You know what you're getting. We know that, if again, if, if you're being really brutally honest about this, it's a bit like Rocky Nine or Rocky Eight, only without Rocky in. And there's, that's really weird as well. There's no mention of Rocky Balboa in this film. Not that I could see. He'd been airbrushed. Apparently, there were issues between Stallone and the producers on this film. He thought the character was going in the wrong direction. And if you remember, Rocky Balboa was in the first two Creed, Creed movies. Bearing in mind the influence that he had on Creed, just to come, suddenly airbrush him out is a bit odd. But anyway, you get over that. It's a very entertaining film for entirely different reasons when compared to the first two films that we've looked at because it's action-based. The storyline is fairly linear, straightforward. It doesn't challenge you much. It's a storyline that we've seen many, many times before, particularly in boxing movies as well. It's not so far removed from Rocky. Um, so, you know, taking all that on board is thoroughly entertaining and it's a, it's a good way to spend a couple of hours. The visuals are great. The fight sequences are incredible. I mean, in the review that I wrote, I actually had to say <laughs> that neither one of them looked like a proper heavy, heavyweight. They look like cruiserweights. They look so, <laughs> so light to me. And also, no boxer could possibly have hands that quick and feet that quick. 
you know, so the, the credibility side of things, I would question. But entertainment-wise, you can't go wrong with this. You know what you know what you're getting. Does what it says on the tin. It's the old cliche. I mean, boxing films are you know, genre upon themselves. Oh, and yeah. you know, what's your favourite boxing film, Brian? Oh, I think Raging Bull. I was going to say Raging Bull. Yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong with that, right? No, I know. Well, look, it's De Niro. It's Scorsese. It's in black and white. I love films in black and white. With Raging Bull, what's interesting about that film? It's a boxing movie, naturally, but you only get twenty-two. I think twenty-two minutes of boxing in two and a half, half hours. And all right, fair enough. You're telling a story about a person, but to feature so little boxing, maybe that's what makes it good, though, because it's sparing. I think another really good boxing movie. Going back even further in time, you know, uh, Raging Bull was 1980. We go back to the late 50s. Paul Newman made a film called Somebody Up There Likes Me about Rocky Marciano. Um, no, Rocky Graziano, I beg your pardon. Rock, Rocky Graziano, the middleweight. Very good film in black and white. So there are some very good boxing movies. And whilst I wouldn't put Creed and the Creed franchise with Raging Bull or somebody up there likes me. It does the job. It's very glossy. You know, I think it lacks probably the rawness of what boxing is really about. Um, there's, a, there's a kind of a shine on Creed. There was a shine on the Rocky movies after the first Rocky movie, in my opinion. But, you know, the purists could look at it and pick it apart. But, you know, you take it for what it is. It's good entertainment. There you go. Creed 3. Um, your reviews, do send them in. Or if you want to send us your favourite boxing film, do that yeah. too. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, um, I'd love to talk about boxing movies a lot more. There's a lot we could talk about here. But... Did I do the sports uh, episode with you on the yeah, podcast? Yeah, you did. Yeah, Because yeah. I remember thinking about that. I was like, oh my goodness. Like the, the Well, fighting and boxing in general could have you know, it's well its own show. Because yeah, trying to definitely. fit all the different sports in was just so hard. So yeah. yeah. It was difficult. Yeah, maybe we should do one just for, just for boxing. There's certainly plenty to, to choose from. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, yeah. what's next, Brian? Come on. What's next? Cocaine Bear. <laughs> Cocaine Bear. Right. Okay. Starring Ray Loita in his final film role and Kerry Russell, directed by Elizabeth Banks, and based very loosely on a true story of an American black bear that ingested 75 pounds of lost cocaine. Honestly, it's preposterous. <laughs> Off its head, it's totally nuts. But is it entertaining? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, the uh, the visuals are just incredible. The animatronics uh, do their job pretty well. They do. I think they do use a real bear at times. But even though it's, it's slated as com- com- comic horror or comedy horror, um, it's actually very funny in places. Very funny. And it's got a great soundtrack as well. It's got a great 80s soundtrack. It's got one of my favourite hip-hop records, White Lines, Don't Don't Do It, by Grandmaster Fashion Muddy Mill. So it's kind of got all that going for it. <laughs> I think with this film, you need to suspend your disbelief, even though we know it's based on facts. On the big screen, they exaggerate, don't they? You know, I think the real bear that was involved was kind of a, a bit more like a teddy bear. But the bear we, we see on screen is... 700 pounds and eight foot tall, or it seems like it anyway. Um, but having said that, God, it, it's it's a white knuckle ride. It really sends you on a ride. And there are some great scenes, particularly where 
two paramedics are trying to escape from this bear and they've got somebody injured in the back of the the, uh, the vehicle. God, it's 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 exhilarating. You, you can't, cannot take your eyes off it. I think it's unfortunate that it was Ray Loita's last film. It's not the way I would prefer to remember him because after all, he did make Goodfellas. Yeah, um, yeah. And that makes him a bona fide legend. Anyone who was in that film is. He made other good films too, but that's the film I'd like to remember him for. And I think in some ways it's sad that it was his last movie. But I just hope he got paid loads of money for doing it. He got sport rotten and he enjoyed himself. That's all I can, all I can say about that. But I sense there will be a sequel here because the, the end of the film left the door wide open, left a gaping opening for Cocaine Bear 2. <laughs> where, where I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I've not read that there's going to be a, a sequel, but the door's wide open. I don't know where else they could go with it, but it's hugely entertaining, quite scary in places. You know, it's only, I think it's only a 15. Um, having said that, though, I mean, the ratings for films now, I think, are almost irrelevant the way people can access movies these days. But uh, I think there'll be, there'll be a sequel because the ending left the door open for it. And I'm not sure what, how I feel. You know what? I think of sequels in general. I mean, we've just been talking about a sequel, but <laughs> you can't get away from them, can you, Chris, really? No, you've got the built-in audience. You know, you've got that bankable um, viewership there. So sequels are like that. With this, though, I was surprised you said that might happen because it feels like very much a thing of itself. Like, you know, it's like an event, right? That it was based yeah. on a real story. Yeah. So i say who's in this, though, just in the cast list, is um, Brooklyn Prince, she's a young actress. And she mm. was in a really good film called The Florida Project. Oh, um, right. I've not seen that, actually. Really recommend that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, she plays one of the main characters in that film, Sean Baker film. And I saw that at the film festival years ago. And... I remember thinking about her in that, thinking, wow, she's really good. Um, She she was good in this film as well. Oh, was she? Because I wasn't sure. You never know with with kid stars, because sometimes maybe it's just a character that happens to reflect their personality, that it just sort of works. Um, (laughs) But it's good to see that she's still doing stuff, because, yeah, that's a really good film. I think think child actors need to survive growing up, don't they? Yeah. they, They could be absolutely brilliant and real prodigies as children. But they need to get through that phase of growing up. And, you know, when they become an adult, one, are they still interested in acting? And two, have they matured? Have they developed sufficiently to carry on acting? And I think there's another podcast in that, Chris, (laughs) looking at child actors and how they grow up and what they go on to do. You know, some child actors just give it up altogether. But um, she was very good at in very good, very sort of natural and believable reactions. You know, yeah, you, you, you know, it doesn't go too much to the side of com- comedy because there are funny moments, generally funny moments, there are. But nevertheless, they, they were suitably concerned by by a, a black bear out of its head on cocaine, as you would be in a wood, in a forest, particularly if you, ch- if you choose to climb up a tree. But I'm giving away more of the plot here, so <laughs> maybe I'll stop here. Well, yeah, um, good fun, friend. Our friends at the Phantom Zone have also reviewed uh, Cocaine Bear on their episode recently, so do go check that out. Um, and yeah, if you've seen it, loved it, hated it, wasn't sure about it, send in your review. Send mm. it to us. Yeah, um, awesome. We got another one, Brian, or was that? We got one more. One more. Yeah. One more. The Middleman. Oh yeah. This yeah. This is a this is a bit of class, really. I think. 
starring Paul Paul Sverhagen. I hope I pronounced that right. And Paul Gross, directed by Ben Hamer. This is really what I would call a love letter to the Coen brothers. You know, it wears its influences on its sleeve. You can see that. Nothing wrong with that at all, but it's pretty much in the Coen brothers' ballpark, David Lynch. It's it's a story of a, a guy called Frank Ferrelli, played by Paul Sverhagen, uh, who becomes the middleman. This small, anonymous American town needs someone to deliver bad news. So they start interviewing, as you do. And you have the pastor and the local councilman and the police officer, played by Paul Gross, interviewing Frank. He gets the job and he goes about his business of delivering bad news. It's, it, you know, reading it out like that, describing it in that way, I hope I've made it interesting enough. But it doesn't sound particularly gripping when I read it, when I, when I just describe it. But, but it's, it's just totally riveting once you start watching it and you start picking up where the influences are with the Coen brothers as well, particularly with Blood Simple. But very, very good film. Very sort of likeable characters that you buy into. They're, de- they're fundamentally decent, but their experiences in life lead them out, down a certain path. You know, it's it, they're kind of characters with wasted talent. They're, they're people whose lives haven't gone anywhere. And they're still waiting for their lives to go somewhere, but they're still living in this town. They're still living in an enclosed community where too many people know too much about each other. But it's the, it's the, it's the, out of the five, it's the film with real character, with the greatest character out of the five that we've reviewed. And they're all really good. And they're all worth seeing. But this, for me, I, I love the kind of that, picking up on that kind of Coen Brothers approach, the David Lynch approach. Um, I love that. I think it's great. And more of that, please. I, I do like it. So that was the middleman. Um, I do believe it will be in cinemas. It should already be in cinemas. Um, I think it is now. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, we got a screen there, didn't you? So I was yeah. just checking it was coming up. Um, obviously, yeah, you mentioned the Coen Brothers uh, connection there. What's your favourite Coen Brothers film, Brian? Oh, Fargo. I think Ooh, I'd have to go with Fargo. Yeah, I was, Ooh, uh, Fargo but, is up there for me. Yeah, I was. Yeah. It was between that and Inside Llewellyn and Davis. Actually, I really like Inside Llewellyn and Davis. I thought it was such a good film. Yeah, yeah. There are so many to choose from, aren't, aren't they? Really, mm. and very influential filmmakers as well. It's the Blood Simple is really good. That was one of their early ones. I like that. Uh, there, there are just so many there, and <clears throat> I mean they're not just. I mean, producers and directors and writers, but they they do write on they they do go off on a, on different sort of jollies, don't they as well? Yeah. Which I think is is good. Um, but yeah, um, love the film. What did you think? I have not seen it. Um, have you not seen it? Yeah, oh. no. The screener that we got, um, yeah. there were some issues with it, and the yeah. uh, the link they sent was only for you, so I wasn't oh. able to sort of watch it. So I thought, do you know what? I'll wait till Brian tells me whether I should watch it. And then you gave it four stars, and I thought, oh, I should have watched that. Yeah. No, <laughs> so well, I'll try and get hold of it. Watch it. Watch it when you can, because it is that kind of film. It, it draws you in. It, it doesn't have, you know the. This is where it's really kind of picked up on what the Coen brothers do, because it doesn't try too hard. It doesn't kind of have to make an, too much of an effort. It sets its stall out, 
gives you the story and you buy into the characters, you buy into the story, even though there doesn't appear to be a lot of substance there. You think, right, he delivers bad news. So if there's an accident somewhere, he has to tell the bereaved relatives what's happened. So he's doing. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The town sheriff's dirty work for them. And as I say, I hope I've, I've given it enough life for people to be curious about it. You know, that's the important thing. But it, as I say, you can take an ordinary topic and, and make it something special. So I think it's um, very good. Very, very good. And yeah, I love the Coen brothers. It's they're just my they're just the kind of filmmakers that you do you do buy into you do, there's something about them it's, it's got a certain a certain je ne sais quoi as they say yeah. there you go a Proxy is um, the film I was trying to think of by the Coen brothers that was with uh, Paul Newman as well so um, yeah I think Fargo though Fargo is the one that stands out for me the most. It's very memorable and it's very like uh, I've always got a, a warm feeling about that film, even though it's set in such a cold place. It's a really sort of warm film to me, just in terms of the feelings of the characters, um, you know, the, yeah. the way that they were presented was just so so great. And the show yeah. was good actually. The TV show was was pretty. Yeah, good. it was. It was actually. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking through some of the films of the Coen Brothers. You know, they made some great films. Barton Fink. Oh, I love that film. Um, the Big Lebowski. Jeff Daniels. Oh, I love that Dude. film as well. We'll have to do one on the Coen Brothers, won't we? Yes. After not already. I feel like we would have done that. Um, maybe we didn't. Uh, maybe I wasn't on it. Eh? Ah, well, uh, it's not worth listening to them. No, I'm no, kidding. Do, do listen to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they've, they've just got an amazing filmography. It's yeah. just incredible. And yeah. there is still a few I haven't actually seen. Um, yeah, I still need to... It, They've got quite a high work rate, haven't they? Really, they, you know, they're not kind of one film every five years. They, they do, they do knock them out at a reasonable rate. Yeah, and, and the quality, quality. Do, yeah. the quality doesn't suffer, does it? Either. Speaking yeah. of quality not suffering, we're moving yeah. on to our streaming pick for the month. Oh yeah. And before we get started. We have a review from a listener, uh, Lindsay Attenborough. I'm going to attempt to play this through my Ooh. phone, through the mic, but I probably upload it properly for the edit. But for Brian, apologies if you can't hear this. I was privileged to be invited by Netflix to the screening and Q&A at the Hamyard Hotel. And I would give the event five stars in addition to the film as it was one of the most in-depth and honest panels I had ever had the fortune to be in the audience of. The film itself is unique in giving you a deep insight into the fatality of war and the hardship for a soldier during the First World War. 
Leslie Patterson, one of the screenwriters, is an athlete. And I think she really understood the suffering and tenaciousness required for survival. This was a noticeable theme in the film. I haven't read the book, but there is always something incredible about an adaptation. Although, for some, to have read the book ruins the film and vice versa. For me, the depth of the universe created by an author creates a rich landscape for a film that always captivates my imagination. You really feel immersed in the lives of Felix and Albert. The cinematography really draws you in with epic wide shots that it would be a shame not to see on the big screen. So I would advise those who have not seen it yet to go and see it at the cinema rather than watching it at home. There you go, Brian. Excellent. Very well, good review. Thank you, Lindsay, for sending that yeah. in. And also thank you for your uh, message, which was keep up the good work. So That's that is much appreciated. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Lindsay's obviously done our job for us, so we can move yeah, on. Yeah. I, I gotta say, we can forget it. What's next? <laughs> um, but no, I think um, obviously it was a, an Oscar winner for um, what was the Oscar one? Best, Best foreign language, Best foreign language film, yeah. and you know uh, some others as well. It is absolutely epic. Brian, give us a little bit extra in terms of what it's about and how you felt about it. Yeah, um, it, I, th- I think it's it is the definition of an epic movie, isn't it? It's there's a certain amount of novelty value about any war movie that tells the story from the German perspective. Usually, we get a war movie; it's told from the Allied perspective, and it does have that novelty value that it tells the story through German eyes, and it it helps you appreciate that you know the loss that we all feel from war is felt on all sides. That everyone suffers; the people suffer at the hands of majors and generals and politicians. And it, it in some ways, it almost doesn't, it does away with that kind of um, concept of sort of borders and trenches. They're just people, they're just human beings. Um, and this, as Lindsay pointed out in, the, um, in her review, based on a book, You've got that dilemma of do you read the book before the film or vice versa or do you do one or the other? You always lose something when you uh, see a film and see a story portrayed on screen. But this doesn't disappoint. It's an amazing piece of filmmaking. Absolutely incredible. It really is. When I was watching it, I found myself comparing it to 1917. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I almost feel in some ways... It's it's got the edge on it. As good as 1917 is, as good as Sam Mendes is at directing a movie like that, this kind of takes it one stage further. The opening frames of that film, this film, uh, really, obviously not going to give too much of it away for people that haven't seen it, but the opening frames of this movie really sum up what war's all about, how futile war is, how pointless it is. And you feel nothing but empathy. You don't, have any sense of sides and right and wrong they're just people they're just people like this guy felix is just another guy trying to get through the day just trying to live another day and survive and that's what you get from it that it portrays the human cost of war and it's the only what surprises me i thought there'd been many more remakes than this of all quiet on the western front 
the uh, the first film version was in 1930, and there was a TV movie in the late 70s starring Martin Thomas. But this is technically the first big screen remake of All Quiet on the Western Front, which surprised me. But it's amazing. And if you can get to see it on a big screen, definitely go and see it. Because then you see the full, the full... I was going to say beauty. Beauty is probably not the right word, but it, you, you see the the brutality of war. It's so effectively portrayed. It's amazing. I find sometimes when, you know, when we're given war films, there's always this question as to why now? You know, why are we mm. watching uh, this depiction and this story from mm. that war or, or this war and again don't want to give much away but i think it's important that we do raise the point from this film which is the futility of it and the fact that so many lives were lost over trying to gain a bit of ground just mm-hmm. a bit of ground and it's a parallel obviously for what's going on in uh, ukraine and russia the yeah. idea of someone encroaching on, on a bit of land and or, or trying or fighting over a piece of land and you just think and there's like for every minute or every ten minutes that this mm. battle carries on, thousands and thousands of people are dying. Uh, it was just a very poignant. Once I made that connection, I was like, mm. "Oh, okay, that's why I'm watching this right now. That's why I'm watching this in 2023." Yeah. And it's it's done in, with a way that was up there with like Saving Private Ryan, you know, mm. in terms of visuals and yeah. the scale of it um but it also had so much heart much like 1917 there's so much heart to it and mm. I, the bit that i absolutely loved was the bit where they get the stolen goose you know they go and steal the yeah. goose and they're eating yeah. it and it, it reminded me of the scene in shawshank redemption where they're having the beers on top yeah. of the roof yeah and yeah. i was like it's this little bit of comfort and almost freedom from all the rubbishness around them yeah. and it was things like that which obviously the film needed but yeah by god is it bleak at other times other times there's bits where you just think mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah no i can't i can't watch another person you know go through yeah, tragedy know, but it just is relentless it is absolutely relentless and harrowing throughout um but absolutely spectacular at the same time i, I, I think really the there was no war if you look back right back through history there was no war quite like the First World War. And they knew what they were doing when they said it was the Great War because it was the Great War insofar that any sense of, sense of logic just disappeared. Why dig into trenches like that? Why sacrifice thousands of men just to gain a few yards? That form of warfare, of tactics, has never been tried before or since. What on earth possessed them to say, right, we're going to dig in, we're going to just go over the top, force of numbers that's the way to win a battle and it i think when you're talking about war and the the true meaning of war and the human cost of war we will always come back to the great war the first world war that's the common reference point how senseless and brutal it all is i mean second world war is bad enough but you you sense that's where it's it's got it's got to rest on the great war because all sense of logic and humanity disappeared, you know, and it was fought on all sides as well. You know, you don't you you realise that these there is right and wrong. There's fought on, on all sides, but at the end of the day, war is war. But yeah, you're right. There is a resonance even now because of what's happening in the Ukraine, 
I mean, how many how many years have we had since the end of the Second World War that hasn't featured a war of some description, a local war yeah. of some description? So it's still relevant, you know, about why we make war. But amazing film. It's, it's bleak, it's depressing, but sometimes you need to watch these things. And yeah, that's you know, all part of it. I think it depends on what you're in the mood for. Um, and you made the recommendation for this, actually. You know, this was your choice, I think, for this month. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, like, great, I'm going to make time for this. I'm going to mm. watch it. And, and when it started, I was like, am I in the right mood for this? And I was like, yep, yeah, you know what I am? And I, I, I watched it in two parts. You know, you yeah. know me, can't get through it, but two is not bad for me. And <laughs> right. even so, though, coming back to it the next day, even though it's bleak, I wasn't like, oh, God, right, I've got to go and sit through this now. It was, I can't wait to get back there because it is just so compelling and it is yeah. so gripping and you want yeah. to just be with these characters, even though they're going through hell, literal hell, it's like, and the bit with the flamethrowers, oh yeah. gosh, it was just, yeah, I'm not going to go into it because I think it'll just yeah, bum everyone yeah. out. But. Yeah, but I mean, you, you, the thing is, you, you root for them. What I, what I look for in any film is whether the characters are likable or they're horrible or they're nasty or they're vicious, they're sadistic, you know, any, you know, you can give a character some redeeming features, and in some way, whether they're good guys or bad guys, or indifferent guys, you know, in the middle, you still find yourself rooting for one or the other, you know, and that's a sign of great filmmaking. And you root for these characters. You you want them to survive. You want them to get through the day. You want something positive to happen to them, or you want some kind of resolution. It's making they're making you care about the characters, and it yeah, it is bleak. It's depressing, but. You know, we're surrounded by war. You know, you, you pick up a newspaper, you turn on the news, you know, the you see, you hear details of some form of, of conflict somewhere. So it's not like you can really escape it. It's just telling you what's already out there. And this is out there uh, on Netflix. Mm. So uh, no excuses for anyone not to watch it, um, mm. unless you don't have Netflix. Although I think it is also in a couple of cinemas. So, hey, look yeah, out it's for still, it. It's still, yeah, it is still around... So, um, yeah, all quiet on the Western Front. Mm. We're moving now to our indie picks. Um, And, well, I'm not sure how indie this film was, but it certainly was off anyone's radar. Thank you to Rich Johnston on um, Twitter for suggesting this to me. Uh, It's on Amazon. It's called The Show. And it's directed by Mitch Jenkins. Now, we're moving genres quite rapidly here from, <laughs> you know, a uh, foreign language war film to a more modern fantasy mystery. Um, very bizarre film. Did you get a chance to watch the show? No, I haven't actually. I haven't had a chance to see that. So this will be for me then. Mm. So um, it's written by Alan Moore. And directed by Mitch Jenkins, you've got this character who is a very shady character um, called Fletcher. And he's turned up in a town trying to look for this stolen artifact. It's like a necklace. Um, And the person that he thinks it's on is then winds up dead, found dead, but the... The, the piece is missing. So he mm-hmm. then spends his time uh, trying to find and locate this uh, mysterious piece. He's being hired by someone from London to do this. And he comes across various oddball characters and unusual situations. 
in in a world kind of, well, sort of haunted town basically is what it's referred yeah. to as where you've got these strange uh, <laughs> strange things going on everywhere it's an absolutely bizarre watch it really yeah. is it's it's incredibly eclectic you've got things all over the place um shout out to you know, the, the the cast and crew here because they are fantastic uh, really does a lot with so many characters um tom burke plays the the lead character i like Fletcher. tom burke tom yeah. burke's good yeah he's excellent he's so good and yeah it had that kind of feeling we watched a couple of films similar to this in the festival last year where yeah. everything was not quite right it had like a nightmarish feel to it everyone's not necessarily who they say they are and there'll be sort of odd comments and you just you you always feel uneasy you're always feeling like something is odd going on in this town and as he uncovers more and more it gets weirder and weirder um yeah it's just a very intriguing interesting film um very different to the sort of movies that you might pick up and i found it very hard to find i must say it was kind of absolutely buried in amazon because you try and search for a film called the show and it you don't get you don't get the film you want yeah the search for it's not great is it at times it does take you a while particularly where you've got the alphabetical matrix and you're trying to sort of navigate your way around it and yeah the way the way to find it is put in the director's name mitch jenkins that's how i found it yeah that's um but that's obviously if you know who directed it so um yeah, it's on. It's actually on freebie, so you kind of have to watch it with ads. But I believe that means you don't need an Amazon Prime subscription, so anyone oh. can watch it. You just watch it with ads. Um, and yeah, I found it very interesting. Really um, well filmed. Lots of dark and odd and strange bits. There's a particularly brilliant bit um, where this is a bit of a spoiler. So. Uh, Apologies, Brian, you're going to just hear it. But anyone else, oh, you know, just, yeah, just skip a minute. But yeah. she, he's talking to this woman who he ends up kind of working on the case with. And she says, you're a hitman. And he goes, we prefer exit technician. <laughs> well, like that. <laughs> it was an absolute brilliant line. Yeah, um, I, you know, when I find it, I, I, I think I will like this. It's got something about it, isn't it? There's something odd and bizarre and strange about it. And but, I would say, uh, yeah, again, much like all the films we've discussed, you've got to be in the right mood. You know, it yeah. is, it's coming at you from complete left field. And if you don't, if you're not on board with the bizarreness of it, then you're probably not going to enjoy it. It doesn't have a great overall rating on IMDb. It's got uh, 5.7. I think that's harsh. I think this is a, a good, solid four-star film. Therefore, yeah. eight. But <clears throat> to each their own and i do think when it comes to things where you're doing say dark comedy which this yeah. is even though it's other genres as well dark comedy is often quite um alienating i think i don't think everyone's cup of tea is, yeah. is dark comedy so I th- let's let's be absolutely honest about this i think all films are mood type films you have to be in the mood for a certain type of film you know, we've just been talking about All Quiet on the Western Front. You have to be in a certain frame of mind to watch a film like that. Same thing with a rom-com. Same thing with an action movie. You've got to be in that frame of mind. And this film is a is a, is a, a heavily mood-based film, isn't it? You've got to be, you know... It could be the type of film that I'd come home on a Friday night after having a few beers. Oh, yeah, I'll watch that. You know, that... That is a good time to watch it, actually. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> probably the... The, the opportunity I would take to watch a film like this, if I could find it. 
If you um, can find it, you've got to remember the director's name, director, everyone. Director's Mitch name. Jenkins, or yeah. yeah, search for um, you know, Tom Burke or anything right. like that. So yeah, you can find it, or go to IMDb, and if you do put in the show on IMDb, it's a bit easier to find because they have a link to it because it's owned by Amazon anyway. IMDb. Oh right, okay. They have a link to the freebie bit where you can watch it. So there's no excuses really. Everyone should watch it um, and let us know what you think. Um, that was the show. We have another indie pick, and this is a short film called Souls. Um, did you watch this one, Brian? No, afraid not. You're, you're, you're dissing all the indie films this month. Yeah, like you didn't sorry. care. You're too busy hanging out with Lily James. And, <laughs> and, and I, I wish. I see what you're like. Um, now, this is written by Dan Gage and directed by him, um, who has written, and we've reviewed a few of Gage's films on yeah, really the site. Cool. Yeah. Um, but... It's an interesting piece. It's it's available on UK Film Channel. So if you t- type in ukfilmchannel.co.uk and search for Souls in the site, you'll find it. It's free to watch. You don't need any kind of subscription because he's put it on uh, Vimeo, I think it is, and it's embedded into the website. And it basically is there's this character on this cliff or like a mountain peak, and he's mm. gone up there to um, scatter someone's ashes. Mm. And... When he does that, there's someone there sat there sort of having a picnic. <laughs> um, and yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so he's got this person, one person sort of sitting there, one person's about to jump off the edge. And they have this awkward kind of standoff where they're sort of looking at each other. And um, Paul Barber and Paul uh, Kazar, I think is how you pronounce it, are the, the, the two actors. Mm. And it's got, again, similar to the film before, where it's got that sort of quintessential unusualness that you sort of think this is a very strange situation and well worth making a film mm. about and um hannah sayer reviewed it years ago on our website and uh, yeah, back in 2018 so it's it's a it's a bit of an older film yeah um and it's got uh, lgbtq plus kind of connections and vibes and it's only eight minutes so it's not really a long uh you know bit of your you just month, got settled it. down, haven't you? Got your your popcorn or your your burger yep. tan, and it's all over. All over. Um, <laughs> it even has a thirty second trailer, which always makes me laugh. When you got your short films, but they've also got <laughs> yeah. trailers. It's like, gosh, how how much less can we have? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just an interesting watch. I just found it. Um, it it looked great. That's what I always enjoy when you do watch a short film because sometimes they're made on like incredibly small budgets and you're like oh, okay the quality is already off but actually with souls it wasn't it was it was a really good quality great location mm. um yeah this use of this mountain peak and yeah not i don't think there's any dialogue um it's it's all non-verbal like kind of just looks and yeah. gestures and things and yeah really powerful stuff no, um no great. language barriers then as well you know exactly. if, if there's, there's no dialogue then no language barriers it, it can you know it, it can work across all frontiers all countries you know yeah i think if you can make a film within that short time frame and you can do away with dialogue and still tell a story or make a story complete enough to for you to gain a, a view an idea of what's going on then it's that's quite a skill there you go so yeah check it out if you can um go to uk film channel um there's a link there and you'll be able to find it and let us know what you thought because it's only eight minutes and it's free so you've actually got no excuse everyone even you brian even me yeah i know i'm sorry yeah right now this next film we're heading back into our nostalgia pick and now i know you've seen this because you picked it and i I hadn't i hadn't seen it did you would you believe i had not seen this 
I'm, well, I was going to say I'm amazed, but in some ways, you know, there are so many films out there that get not buried, but they just get forgotten, overlooked, particularly where the actors that are involved, directors that are involved, move on to bigger things. You know, I think this is an example of uh, a hidden gem. Absolutely. And weirdly enough, like you say, I'm obviously surprised I've not seen it because my parents had it on VHS. It ah. was there It was there for the watching. I just never watched it. It wasn't 18, to be fair. So yeah. I wouldn't necessarily watch that when I grew up. I did watch mm. 18s. But, um, and we should probably let everyone know what the film is called. <laughs> Primal Fear. Primal called. Fear. Primal Fear, Richard Gere. I, that sounds like Cockney rhyming slang. It does it? a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I should know all about that, shouldn't I? Maybe, maybe there's something subliminal going on at the back of my head. You know, yeah. it's, it's Cockney rhyming slang. But I, what, what I like about this film really is that it's a courtroom drama anyway. So you've got an inbuilt tension that's there anyway. That I love. I like Richard Gere. I think he's got that kind of arrogance and cockiness, but likability all rolled into one. I think there are very few actors that can be arrogant and likable at the same time. I always believe you you can either be one or the other. You can be arrogant or likable, but you can do both. And Richard Gere seems to gravitate towards characters that are like that whether he makes them that way or whether they're written for him that way i don't know but he always seems to have that kind of mix that balance and laura linney plays the um the prosecutor richard gears the hotshot lawyer who's defending edward norton in his first film role it was his breakthrough role as the altar boy accused of murdering the catholic bishop and to all intents and purposes he looks guilty, but Richard Gere's character uh, is his interest is piqued by by the case. It appeals to his sense of again arrogance to think that he could take this case on and win it, and prove that he was innocent or establish reasonable doubt. And Laura Linney, obviously, formerly a character in a relationship with Richard Gere, formerly in the film, which is always the way, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, they've always got something going on there. So there's a, there's a fair amount of sexual chemistry going on there. Uh, Richard Gere's character is called Martin Vale. Uh, Laura Linney's char- character is, is Janet Venable. And that's the kind of the protagonist, the antagonist going back and forth. Politics are thrown into the mix as well. It's a great watch. I think it is a great watch. And as I think you pointed out to me in a previous conversation, Chris, the the judge always seems to have a glass of what, what appears to be whiskey in her, in her hand. I, I think it could be iced tea. Yourself. No, no, Brian. She's drinking it out of this tumbler. And it is like <laughs> the way she's drinking it as well. That's not how you drink iced tea. And it's, But what I don't get, I don't, uh, they, they talk about this, like the whole, um, sexualization of alcohol in mm. in film and tv the idea that you know they'll sit there and they'll sip and it will just look kind of really really cool she's drinking in between yeah. the case it's not like oh she's finished for the day they're like having yeah. a break a recess yeah. to like figure out some of the documents or something and she just yeah. goes to, she just takes a swig and you're like wow wow and it's not right. even like anyone's kind of gone Oh right, like you know that that she's she's really stern. There was no need for it, but she no. just did it. And what I the only like conclusion I came to was 
it was the 90s, you know, and that's just yeah, what they did. Yeah, it could be that. It could also be that it was written into her contract that she <laughs> that she had a glass of whiskey in her hand all the time. I, you know, but I didn't notice it until you mentioned it though. When I watched it, I thought, yeah, you're right. She even when they were in recess in chambers, you yeah. know, as you just said, she had a glass of whiskey in her hand. I had to do it, and I just it, thought, do you know what? More power to you. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But. A very intelligent, well-paced film. And as I say, full of actors that I really like. Richard Gere, Laura Linney, Edward Norton. And there, there is sort of, there are moments of humour there. You know, coming back to the the, the arrogance of Martin Vale, where uh, she turns to him, they're arguing, they're bickering about the uh, the finer details of the case in a, in a bar afterwards. And he raised the Fifth Amendment in order not to plea a enter a defence. And she said to him, that that Fifth Amendment plea you raised, it, it was brilliant. And he comes back and he says, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? it was. <laughs> Do you know, there, there's that kind of, yeah, I'm cocky, but, you know, I'm not that serious about it. Um, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. This is my kind of film because it's what I would call pre-mobile phone usage even though they do have mobiles but it's, it's not the way that it is now it's yeah. where you know serious dramas can happen and what i thought was great about it was exactly what we're talking there about this kind of character where he is on the borderline of being cocky and arrogant because there's a bit where him and his like legal help who i think did used to be a cop to be fair they go and chase one of the people involved in the case yeah. like they search him down and <laughs> Yeah, I know. They like know. man, you know, this is like this high-paid hotshot lawyer, yeah. and he's like manhandling this guy in I some know. kind of what? crack den. And I know. I was like, I know. It, yep, okay. Only in the nineties would this be okay. Yeah, yeah very hands-on. All very yeah. hands-on. I don't mind getting my hands dirty. But no, I did like it, and I, th- yeah, I think it's because it it, it blends like, multiple genres really well. You've got mm. the kind of murder uh, actiony stuff. You've got the uh, obviously the courtroom stuff but you do have this sense of comedy you have this sense of he's trying to figure out the case but he's doing so in his kind of way that creates a lot of friction with everybody else and obviously seeing Laura Lenny's character's reaction all the time is great like she just she knows that he's going to try whatever he can mm-hmm. to to pull the rug from under them yeah. um and Ed Norton obviously definitely don't want to give away spoilers but what a great performance when it's you amazing, think about it. it. When you think about it afterwards, yeah. you go, oh, what a great performance. Yeah, so, I know. Um, and sadly, it's got John Mahoney in as well, who um, plays the, uh, the chief yeah. of police, I think, and he's, he's really good. Um, a, nice ca- a nice cameo from Frances McDormand as well. Yeah, she, she rocked up, and I was like, you're yeah. just, you're, everyone's in this. You know, I know. Uh, it was just great. Yeah, no, yeah. I, did, I really enjoyed it, and it's got that feel of a film that, even though it is now, you know, coming up 30 years old, um, mm still holds up it, it doesn't feel that old though to me you know i mean edward norton's first film it i mean that was the that was the the, the first film that was released the first film he actually made the, the first film he starred in and wasn't he good in it as well edward yeah so he, good. He, he was absolutely brilliant he was spot on at, and at times i almost felt that uh i sensed that richard gear was actually quite shocked by the power of Norton's performance because the scenes they have one-to-one uh, are actually quite quite intense. And at one point, I, th- I thought Gear actually flinched when 
uh, Edward Norton's character, Aaron, came at him. He almost went, sort of jumped. Oh, you know, almost felt that. And that's where they kind of almost got a script because he almost wasn't expecting it. But they captured what was uh, an authentic reaction, I guess. So you've got all that going on, on as well. So it's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, thanks for getting it on the list of um, for our nostalgia pick. And it's available currently was when I watched it on Netflix. So yeah, anyone can um, yeah. can have a watch of that. And yeah, um, please send us your thoughts if you've seen Primal Fear, Richard Gear. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, Cockney Rhyme slang pick of the month, and um, <laughs> any of the other films that we've reviewed in this episode. If you want to be involved with film podcast now. Go to ukfilmreview.co.uk forward slash podcast. And there's a big old section. My and Brian's mugs are on there. We've mm-hmm. got a big section about the podcast. And there's a button that says send your review. You can click send your review. I'll be updating the site um, to make sure we've got the list of films that we're going to watch. Yeah. Um, we may not always know um, the films because Brian gets sent some screeners. But also he goes to the cinema, bless him, um, mm-hmm. and, and watches these. So it can be what's available and, and what yeah. he's able to get to. Uh, yeah, I'll be, I think I'll be watching loads of films with numbers in next month because there's John Wick 4 and there's Deadpool 3. Oh. So that, that will okay. definitely be, be there. Okay, well, there you go, guys, uh, you know, and, and girls and folks and everyone in between. Those will be on uh, potentially on the list. And we will also update on the streaming release and the nostalgia pick and a couple of the indie films uh, that we're going to uh, review. And I will also remember to review the indie features next time. Well, at least I had you covered, you know. And between the two of us, we got, <laughs> we got everything. It would have been more awkward if we both went, no, nah, I didn't watch that. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. We, we, we kind of work as a team, don't we? A bit of a tag team, you know. Your yeah. strength, my weakness, and vice versa and all that. But I, I, will, I will promise not to forget next time to remember. Uh, well, don't forget you, to remember. Oh, don't you know forget that. to remember, yeah. You are, you are forgiven. Uh, Thank you. Bless you. And um, yeah, so that's it for this episode. Um, please do check out the website for slash podcast so that you can get involved if you want to. Also, if you're a filmmaker and you want us to review your film in the indie section, uh, probably best just to tweet me, uh, which is at UK Film Review or at Chris underscore underscore Olsen, which was not the best username. I appreciate underscore, underscore Olsen. Are you sure? Yeah. If Chris Olsen with just one underscore is listening, Give it up. Give it up <laughs> yeah. now. Let, let, yeah, let him have it. Let this Chris have it. You How know. dare you? Um, That's now, quite cool having two underscores. Though. I mean, I've only got one underscore in my, in my address. Yeah, well, I, I I went double. I doubled up. And I've felt better ever you. since. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone who submit films or to the PR people who gave us access to films and to no one who sent any drinks or snacks. Me and Brian are waiting heavily and to I be endorsed. Starving. You know, we yeah. want endorsement, we want snacks. Yeah. Um, so if you have some of those, send them, yeah. please. Yeah. And until, ne- until next time, uh, we'll see you again. Bye for now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 